All right, partner. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. Right. Welcome to episode 131 of Tell Me Where to Turn, the show where we will sneak in wrestling talk at any minute. You just have to be on your toes as the listener. Just a matter of when we fire off the gun and start the 40 yards down the track. But you can find me on Twitter at Tommy2 underscore zero. You can find me at Glenn three underscore eleven and the show at Where to Turn Pod. There's one person you cannot find tonight. All right, that's an awkward moment of PDA physical, con- <laughs> physical contact. It's the first time she's witnessed. touched me in months. <laughs> I could tell it was very hesitant. Yeah. There's, um. There's sorry, I had the wrong screen. This there's Uncle Glenn. He's wearing a Nashville Sounds t-shirt, man. What a guy. I know. In tribute of uh, you escaping the greater Dallas area. Yeah. But yeah, as you as you were saying, yes, we are we are too wide tonight. Yeah, Point Break Dave is is pursuing other interests right now. And uh, honestly, I think both sides are evaluating his future with the podcast. I think those are the terms everyone can agree upon. Yeah. Uh, you've done probably the most bad things in the history of this podcast, but he did a pretty bad one, which was Tuesday night was, hey, guys, we've got to record on Thursday night. I'm really excited to record. I've got, I'm ready to go. And then about two or three hours ago, it's, oh, hey, I'm not going to be able to record anymore. So you got yeah. us. He did have a good excuse. We're not going to go into that, but... uh I'm not sure he's being pardoned. I'm just saying it's not the worst uh, worst reason ever to miss a podcast. But and he I, won't be and, here <laughs> this evening. And I had something for him right off the top of the show. So because he's the he's the big Trump supporter of the three of us. That's well documented. <laughs> yeah, he'll go like, to bat for Trump any occasion. <laughs> but if you remember one of the famous Trump campaign quotes was that we were going to win so much we were going to get tired of winning America. Yes. I, I, saw, I saw that played out in real life today. Okay. I saw a group of people that were literally tired of winning. <laughs> so I'm in this meeting at work, and it's, it's with all the leadership team, and we've got a bunch of new work coming in, and we're having to hire people and staff up and we, we essentially need to hire about 10 to 12 people in the next 60 days to even be able to keep on track with all of our projects. And we haven't been able to hire anybody. And they said, well, what's going on? You know, we've got all these jobs posted. Why haven't we been able to hire anybody? And essentially they said, there's no more candidates out there. Everybody in town has a job 
and we can't hire anybody. And you know what I said? I said, this sounds like a group of people that are actually getting tired of America winning so much. Wow. Manifested out and in and of itself. Man. And speaking of, <laughs> speaking of Trump supporters, I had a run-in with what is no doubt a guy that's probably already lined up to make his next vote for Trump. Is he about 55 to 60 years old and wears fake Oakley sunglasses and has a goatee? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. I was, uh, I was out at the youth baseball park Saturday, and we got it was picture day, so we had to get out there a little bit early. The picture takes all of 20 seconds, and then we're like, oh, great. I'm glad we showed up an hour and a half before the game for that 20 seconds. So my son says, hey, Dad, let's, uh, let's go here down the side of the field. I want to practice my pitching because he's in the kid pitch league now. And he's like, if I was going to equate it to the Rangers bullpen, like he would kind of have the role of like, I don't know, like if they were maybe going to bring in like Delino DeShields to pitch in a to blowout. Pitch. That's Yeah, <laughs> that's about his role in this thing right now. All right. But God bless him. He wants to try to pitch. So we go out there and we work on our pitching for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then the coach comes, gathers the kids, and they go off to start getting prepped for the game, you know, the proper pregame prepping. So I go grab a seat and, uh, you know, just sitting there. This is like the Coming to America speech. I'm just sitting there feeling good, minding my own business. A guy taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and I'm startled for a little bit because he's holding in my face my own ID. And he's like, is this you? <laughs> and uh, I said, <laughs> I said, why, well, yes, it is. And then he proceeded to hand me my ID and my entire wallet, which had about 300 bucks in it. Okay. All my credit cards, corporate card, you know, every, everything I would need to conduct normal life. So it just fell out of your pocket. So somewhere along the side of the field, it fell out of my pocket. So, of course, I profusely thank this guy. I says, um, you know, man, thank you so much. He's like, hey, you know, some kids, some kids like grabbed it and brought it over to me because I was the first adult they saw. And then I've just been walking around the fields looking for somebody that looked like this guy. I was, you know, just again, didn't tip him because I'm not point break Dave, but, you know, profusely thanked him. Well, his next comment threw me off so bad, but I have to give you a little setup so you understand the, the um, extreme racism in his next comment. Oh, no. So we live in Franklin, Tennessee, which, you know, you have Google. Look, look up Franklin, Tennessee demographic sometime. You're gonna see. You're gonna see probably like a not very. We're gonna see a lot of playbook studiers and not a lot of four four forties. It's just a a giant white circle on the map. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Kellen Moores here. There's a lot of guys that were. That there's a lot of quarterbacks. Let's put it that way. If we were gonna field a football team, we'd have eleven quarterbacks. There's a town probably. 20 miles from here that's another suburb of uh, Nashville that's called Antioch, Tennessee. You should probably also look that up sometime. The demographics of Antioch are quite different. <laughs> There's probably a okay. lot of a lot of guys wearing Des Bryant jerseys and man, just that it's just different. It's different. Beautiful town. I mean no offense, but this is what the guy says to me. So again, Set the scene. He's picked up my wallet. He's made this extensive search. He's found me. I'm profusely thanking the guy. And he says, well, yeah, some kids picked up and brought it to me. You better be real glad this game wasn't being played in Antioch. Man. 
So how racist is that guy? That's pretty bad. Especially to come out and say that to someone he doesn't know. Oh yeah, he was just yeah he was just letting fly for no reason, and there was no reason to say it. I mean, it was just right. I was just like, man, thanks, for, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And he's just, just like, say you're welcome. Yeah, no problem. You're just you just be glad we weren't playing in Antioch. So did you just immediately tell him? I just want you to know this is going on the podcast this week. Oh yeah, I sent him a link. So this is gonna okay. be episode one thirty one. You can find the show at Where to Turn Pod, and we're gonna talk about you in the first eight minutes of the show. All right. Are you recording this call? Because I usually get a notification that says Tommy two underscore zero is recording the call. No, I'm not. But I'm. I don't actually. That's just for safety. So we are. We are fine. I okay, will start we'll edit recording. That last part out. I will start recording it now. But uh, we're fine. We've got eight minutes and twenty two seconds of solid gold. Okay. As Leo Rush. As long say. as that stuff is is safe, you always want to be safe. That that's I, for the kids out there. I've been telling the youth of America that for a long time. Um, I had a couple things. First off, uh, a segment that I would like to call sometimes Glenn forgets he's not on the podcast. Oh no. And I had two examples of this and for the life of me, I cannot remember the second one, but they were both awkward. And this is both occurred since our last recording. The first one took place at my oldest kid's school. So probably about once every few weeks or so, I will uh, go up on Friday, get a sack of hamburgers and have lunch with the kid. Very nice. And so it's part, part of that process. You got you know, to go through the office. My, my ID and everything is on file. I just have to give them my name. They put off a little sticker thing, visitor sticker. You slap it on your shirt and you make your way to the cafeteria. You're good to go. You just go straight there. When you're done, you're straight out. No big deal. So, I've done, I mean, I've done this before. It's not new or anything like that. But they didn't know I was going to show up. So, like, when I get there and I get in the office, um, there are, like, three rows of visitors' badges already printed out. For people, that I guess, that have notified the school they're picking their kids up early, maybe lunch, maybe some other things, including the wife was going up there later in the day to uh, read to uh, the kids' class that afternoon. So I walk up. I'm here, you know, I'm having lunch with my kid. They kind of ask, do you have your sticker printed out or whatever? And I was like, no, I didn't notify in advance, so you're not going to have mine. Um, And just without thought or anything like that, I see see the wife's sticker and ID there, and I just point, I go, I see you've got the woman who lives with me for free printed out, but you don't have mine. (laughs) Complete silence. No response or reaction whatsoever from the five people in the audience. They're all just looking at me. Not, but not a frown, not a smile, just a complete, just blank look, just processing what's been said to them. Which this is, I don't. This is male privilege. This is what's wrong with the world right here. I can't so believe this. I'm, actually, I. This is this is offensive to me, and I listen to this podcast. I'm I'm now I'm now labeled as that apparently I, I don't know that i really care but after i said it i was like you know what usually that goes through the filter and doesn't just come out but i don't know if it was a panic moment or not the other one man i wish i could remember because i think it was at um a cub scout meeting that we had recently and just a comment or a joke that i made that 
again was just received with just a, a muted response from the group. But I, I thought this entire evening I tried to remember it and I couldn't, if I remembered, I'm bringing it to the next time we do Glenn for sometimes forgets he's not on the podcast, but well, I had, I had several moments like that today that we, every month we do our team meeting for all of the, all the people that roll up through me and I'm, I kind of, for lack of a better term, the master of ceremony. So I'm, holding a microphone that looks exactly like this one that we're using now. And I think that kind of triggers something in my brain. So I, I just can't help myself because essentially I will occasionally like talk in long form, but really my role there is just to bring up different members of the team and introduce them. But like, instead of what a good boss would do and just say like, Hey, and you know, now Joe's going to come up and talk about this. Like I always have to like go for jokes, but my jokes <laughs> are usually like offensive or insulting to people. And I did it like two or three times during this meeting today. And then I'm thinking like, what am I doing? Like I'm going to get reported to HR or or at least people are going to think I'm just a jerk. So, you know, one of the, one of the things was, so there's this uh, lady on my team who's like very soft spoken. In fact, she was so nervous when she was talking in the meeting today. I thought she was going to pass out. Like, like I was legitimately worried. Like, you know how when people get nervous and you can tell they, um, they start breathing funny oh, and their yeah. voice gets high. Like in a couple of times, like she just stopped and like had to catch her breath. But anyways, I'm introducing her and everybody knows that she's, you know, she's a very calm, very unassuming person. So she was the first one to go. And I, I said, I did like the Corby Mike first day you met me joke. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, after my last team meeting, she, uh, she just grabbed me and pinned me up against the wall and was like, look, at the next meeting, I want to be the first one to talk because it's, this is really needs to be about me. And that's like how I introduced her. And then I was like, what am I doing? Yeah, like, I, this is not good. This is not good. I, I think the pin me up against the wall is the part that... Uh, yeah, that's the part, right. I mean, yeah. although... She, don't want to go into too much... You. No, don't want to go into too much detail, but she could have easily done that. <laughs> Does she... Does she deadlift at least two plates or no, but it would have been, it would have been like Finn Balor or Nia Jax kind of a situation for sure. Okay. So yeah, probably, probably not the best idea. Okay. And then, then I had another, had another team member that came up and, uh, she was, she's very, uh, she's close her due date for having her child's like a week away. So then after she got done and handed the microphone back to me, I like looked on the floor and I was like, well, I don't see a baby down here. So. Oh yeah, is this, is this making you tense? Yeah, this is this is maybe more uncomfortable than when they had me MC the the Christmas party. And you were two drunk. years ago. <laughs> yeah, when I was spilling beer on the floor. This was at ten o'clock in the morning. I've got no excuse. Not good. <laughs> I don't see a baby on the floor. I mean, I guess you're okay. It's just kind of in poor taste. Yeah. Well. A lot of things I did today, unfortunately, were in poor taste. But yeah, uh, I have a question. Okay, are you familiar with the Amber Geiger trial that's going on in Dallas very, right now? Yeah, I I've been following it very closely, even here from Nashville. Now I will say, I'm not plugged into Nashville news, but it doesn't seem to have made it to that point. So I, I have so not. That- my following of it has been on the ticket every day. I, it, I, I'm not getting a lot of local coverage. So that's actually my question, whether it was gaining any national traction 
and it's it's yeah, somewhere involved in the in the greater Tennessee news area because it's a obviously tragic case, but a fascinating story behind no, and, that. And I hope that uh, and I hope that and I, I I hope I don't regret saying this, but I'll remember to delete it. But I'm afraid that if she's found not guilty, it will make local news here. And probably not um, for the verdict, but for what's going to happen after the verdict. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's more... I think the most likely thing, especially the first time through, is that there's some sort of mistrial, and they just have to try it again. I think it's the most likely scenario. I think a guilty verdict of some kind is more likely than just a complete acquittal. Yeah, I, I think my problem with the trial is, so I, I, and again, my opinion only, but I believe her story in principle, that she got confused, she walked to the wrong door, because, I mean, I was thinking about this today, so I drive a black SUV. Twice that I know of, I've walked up to the wrong black SUV, and there'll be some big red flag, like the door handle will be a different color. But yeah, right. I'll still pull on it four or five times before because I'm on such autopilot and I'm so sure it's my car that even though there's like things that are clearly telling me this isn't your car, like it's not unlocking, you know, the door handle's painted and yours is chrome, but I'm still pulling on the door handle for a minute. So I, I, I you know, I think the people that are saying like, how could you make that mistake? There was a red doormat. Like I'm, I'm able to believe that part of the story. I think where I have the issue is if I walk in the front door of my house and immediately see somebody in there, I'm running back. Like right. I'm that that's the part where I think she really acted inappropriately. I don't think there was any malice. I don't even think there was any there was any racial component to it. <clears throat> I just think that she had the absolute worst possible reaction you could have in that situation and maybe that is a crime. Uh yeah, I don't think you get acquitted for just a oops, I thought I was somewhere else type of defense. I just don't, I just don't buy that, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, certainly the option, I don't want to bog down this for a long time. Cause I mean, we could literally spend the hour talking about this case, but she wasn't cornered once she walked in there, just backing up mm -hmm. and I don't know, calling the police. I mean, you're, you're already, I mean, it's not like you don't have a direct line to get somebody else there if you think somebody's in your apartment, I mean, you've kind of got them trapped within the confines of those probably 700 square feet. So yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, no, it is. But I, I, I am definitely sympathetic to the, I'm an autopilot and I'm missing all the obvious clues part of the story because I, unfortunately, especially the older I get, the more guilty I'm becoming of that. I mean, there's, there's times when I'll jump in the car turn the way we always go home and be like five minutes down the road before I realized I was needing to be going the complete opposite direction. I mean, right. I, unfortunately I get distracted easy. I start messing around with a podcast or something. I get all of that, but yeah, to your point, if you're opening the door or something's wrong, you just, you just turn around and get out of there. You don't go in blasting. That's right. That's just the recipe for disaster. I do wonder no matter how this plays out, because it's apparently coming out as evidence that, uh, the the door the lock on the door was faulty and let her in because apparently it was shut well i always wondered that so that's an interesting point because i couldn't figure out why the dude would be just chilling on his couch with his door open that makes right. no sense so apparently 
throughout the complex, people have testified that that's happened before. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There, there is a the Dallas Morning News is coming out with like a daily thing as the trial goes on. It's like a six or eight minute podcast every day that gives you some details. But I just wonder if let's say that there was just a, the lock, the door itself, whatever is faulty. No matter how this turns out, the manufacturer of that are they going to get sued by not only the victim that was murdered that is no longer with us, but also the other family as well. Because if that door just, she puts her key and it doesn't open, she probably tries again. Maybe she messes with the doorknob and then maybe you kind of step back and look around and you're like, I'm on the wrong floor. Right. She's and not going to kick her own happens. door in. So at that point, yeah, that saves his life if the lock's working correctly. But that that's a detail I had not heard. So I'm sure that's probably something that came out today, and we'll I'll hear about it tomorrow on News in the News. But yeah, that that would be a uh, that's a civil that's a big civil case if if I've ever heard one. So more to come on the uh, Amber Geiger trial and every episode moving forward. <laughs> yeah, probably one more episode when we uh, go. Uh, yeah, the verdict came back, and then um, hopefully South Dallas <laughs> isn't on fire. And then, so the verdict came back, and then the lights went out, and uh, when they came back on, Miss Geiger, was, somebody had their hand all the way in her mouth, holding her down on the floor, and everyone was cheering. Can you imagine if God. this whole thing was just a work to get fiend over for Hell in a Cell? Like, and the whole story never even happened? Just all made up to get the fiend over? Well, just a big push for Fox. I'm interested. We need to... We need to mention that this is going to be at some point a wrestling episode, but Mike Hernandez, devoted listener, has requested that we keep all non-wrestling content at the front of the show. <laughs> and out of respect to him, we are gonna we are gonna accommodate him. We like yes. to, we like to uh, we like to try to do our best to deliver the content that our one listener our one loyal listener wants, and then we're going to get into doing the stuff that we want to do. That's right. So we briefly just cover some of our uh, daily fantasy thoughts for NFL week. I guess we're week four now. We are. So I've not done extensive research yet. I have a couple of different podcasts I usually listen to on like Saturday or Sunday morning to kind of finalize things. But just a few thoughts. Man, I am almost at the point of just you just play pat mahomes in every single lineup that you have you don't ever try to save money because he's gonna throw two or three no two two minimum probably three or four touchdowns every week at this pace no i'm a big fan of playing him and then not playing any of his receivers because you never know which one is going to get the td but i think at the at the quarterback position and he's up to 7500 this week I still think he's almost a must-play in the majority of your lineups. I mean, you're going to have to give a little bit of balance if you're playing a lot like I typically do, but he's going to be featured in, in the majority of them because it's it's just it's basically guaranteed points. The floor is so high at this point, you, you can't afford not to do it. I get a little, I'm going to get a little more Josh Allen action in there this week. I'm still a believer. I know a lot of people are saying there's going to be a decline, but... I'm still well, believing. The, they're playing the Patriots this week, so no. And the price is might. the price is down. But the thing is, 
if he can run one in, it's worth it right there at the price. And it could happen. So I was looking at, obviously, Mahomes. And the only other quarterback I think this week that I'm playing is Russell Wilson. Because I really like him against the Cardinals. Um, yeah, the chalk thing is going to be playing Chargers against the Dolphins, just like whoever's playing the Dolphins every week. So Eckler and Keenan Allen and Phillip Rivers and Mike Williams and just kind of anybody you can find from that roster. So I'm in a, and I, I haven't mentioned this before, but I'm in a pretty high-dollar survivor pool this year. And for some reason, I just feel really weird about playing the Chargers this week. And, I mean, it's a 16-and-a-half-point spread. It should be a guaranteed, and there's, there, I'm just getting this, like, weird sixth sense that says this is a bad idea. And I have they're, no data to back that up. They're not going to lose. Um, but, I, you know... Like every other team that's played the Dolphins since week one, their defense is the highest-priced defense to use on DraftKings, and I don't think I'm falling for that because that's a defense that hasn't put up more than four points in the first three weeks, and they're kind of like Dallas. Like, they're okay, but they really don't turn the ball over. Right. And so that's, unless you just get yeah, lucky with a pick six. Is, is, yeah, if, you're not, if they're not generating points, then you're not um... – then yeah, you're yeah you're not getting the the full value out of that, especially at the thirty eight hundred dollar price point that they're at. So for the most part, for what I've thought about and read about so far, I like Mahomes and Wilson at QB, and you're gonna have to you know fill in the roster with some cheap guys or whatever, or play like a put McCaffrey in there and some lineups. But I really like the Chargers offense, and I really like the Rams overall. They're playing the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay's having to travel all the way across the country, which is usually that's not good for any team. Jameis is coming off a really good game, which means this week is probably going to be four or five interceptions to balance it out. So I I think you Mahomes or Wilson, and you sprinkle most of the rest of the lineup with Rams and Chargers and just find a, either a value play or the, another high-priced guy to go with it. Yeah. Um. I'm pretty much aligned with you. I'm liking the Pittsburgh defense a little bit against Cincinnati. I've kind of got them slotted. Prices a little bit better. Um, I think Keenan Allen against Miami. I mean, I know I kind of am contradicting myself, but I think there's a good play there. Um, I'm still holding out hope that the Pittsburgh offense is able to maybe get things turned around a little bit, but I think Connor could be an interesting play. He's down to $6,500, which – is still a lot for a running back, but I think they're going to have to feature him more. Um, again, playing Cincinnati, maybe an opportunity to get a little value out of him. But yeah, other than that, I mean, other than that, I, uh, I mean, I'm just going to get Pat Mahomes in there and then just put randomized for the rest of the lineup and just <laughs> hope I hit on the miracle. Put about sixty Man, of those I, out there and hope I hit the right the right combo. This past week was my best of the three weeks overall. And uh, we didn't record last week, but my primary in cash lineups, I had Mahomes and Josh Allen. Those are my two that just playing like double ups and single entry stuff. Tournament lineups. Two weeks ago, I was huge on Big Ben. He was terrible and he got hurt. He's out for the season. Last week, Jameis was the guy I was big on. Unfortunately, I had like three different tournament lineups 
that had him paired with Buccaneers, and none of them. I didn't pair him with Mike Evans one time. I hate so, I th- hate days like what I hate days like the day Mike Evans had because then when you're in those big contests, like if you don't have him, you're dead. I had yeah, broke I had slate. I mean I had twenty lineups in one contest, I, and I didn't have him in one of them, and I'm dead. You know, like that takes your chance of of the big score right off the board, and that's frustrating. Yeah, so I, I didn't have him, but the best one I had on Sunday, I sent it to you. I was in that large three-entry max tournament that paid 20000 up top. There's like 34,000 people in it, and I think in the second half of the afternoon games, maybe late first half, I was in 39th place with Christian McCaffrey still in my lineup, and then Evans broke loose. I ended up finishing like 80th. And I was actually traveling back from my parents' house and home, so I wasn't watching the games, but I, so I couldn't keep track of exactly where I was through the whole thing. But I'm driving home, and I know I'm in the top 50 or so of this contest, and also I get a notification that McCaffrey just had a 75-yard run. And I'm trying not to run off the road while also checking my phone to see if I'm winning thousands of dollars. <laughs> and ended up, I don't know, I think overall... I only ended up like 60 or 70 bucks up, even though I had a really good lineup. But we're up on the season in football. Got a long way to go to make up for it, for what I lost in baseball this year. But yeah, this was a time. this was a bad uh, this is just a bad baseball year all the way around. I don't, I I, did, I had very few even halfway decent scores, and it's just been a it's just been a real grind. Uh, nothing nothing I've done this year has really worked out right, and I've kind of second-guessed some strategy moves and made some changes throughout the year and maybe a little sign of hope here and there, but just never anything that sustains. And I'm I'm hoping that, yeah, hoping that we can have some good football scores. Now, the good news is, unless something really tragic happens and I get my lineup in for baseball tomorrow and Saturday, I, um, I will have completed the challenge of having a paid lineup every single day of the regular season. And that's worth 25,000 crowns, used to be called frequent player points. And there's money affiliated with that now. I don't know if you know that or not. Isn't that the equivalent of like 20 bucks? It's more than that. It's probably the equivalent of probably about 50 bucks. So, yeah, spent spent hundreds to win 50. (laughs) But at this point, I've committed to it for the year, so I'm going to see it out. But some of those days you were just playing like a quarter. Oh, a lot of a, a lot of those days because once once work really started to get busy, um, I was I was just I mean I there was a lot of days where I didn't play a lineup. I would get up in the morning, put an entry in the quarter just to hold it, and they would never even have time to put a lineup in. It yeah. would just take a zero. Um, yeah, so I just I just have not been in a position to really put as much into it. And now on the weekends I played a lot. But uh, during the week, I was just just kind of going through the motions, which probably not the best way to do it. But it's also uh, also definitely contributed to uh, to my l- less than stellar results throughout the year. Although I do have Zach Wheeler with twenty nine points tonight, and a lot of bats that haven't started are just starting. So maybe maybe tonight will be the night. Who knows? Are those Astros bats by any chance? They are not actually. I uh, no. I can't afford uh, Astros bats. Not on your. <laughs> Not on your salary. Hey, Not on my salary. When you play, when you play Chicago White Sox outfielder, outfielder Daniel Palka at two thousand, and he hits two home runs, you can afford Astros bats. 
because that's where I'm at right now. I like it. I like it. So, All right. So any, is this the yeah, uh, so transition? Anything point? else before we tell Mike it's safe to tune out? No, I think that's uh, I think that's it. We thank him for his service. Thanks for your service, and we'll see you again next week when we uh, have a non-wrestling episode. But for those of you that want to be entertained with classic WWE as we count down to our epic trip in 2020 to WrestleMania. We are reviewing, I believe this is the sixth highest rated WrestleMania of all time. Seventh. Oh, seventh, seventh by fourth, fourth one, so it's the seventh. By random list Glenn found online that has right. no no scientific methodology in any way behind it. So were you excited when, when this started and we saw that it was at Safeco Field? <laughs> um Yes. Because it just shows me that they've got a. Uh, I mean, our next event we're attending is at a baseball That's venue, correct. so they got plenty of experience having large pay-per-views there. So this was a um, this is an interesting card, top to bottom. It's right at the tail end of when wrestling was still pretty much aimed at the TV fourteen audience. It was Boy, we found that out as yeah, we in many ways. It was March thirtieth, two thousand three. So the, the real heyday of what they call the attitude era was nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight, and that was when they did as much raunchy, just over the line offensive things as possible to cater to the young male audience. And by two thousand three, I think they were starting to tone it down a little bit, but certainly not to the level it is now. And, uh, yeah, so March 30, 2003, Safeco Field, 54,097 in attendance, announced on the show at the time as the largest crowd in Safeco Field history. Now, I'm sure a Rangers Day game at some point <laughs> outdrew that, but at least at the time being. Yeah, you think a, a nice Tanner Shepherd start Yeah, was in front of standing room only? Yeah, a little Austin Bibbins-Dirks call-up spot start. I saw where this was the first WrestleMania that was promoted under the WWE brand yes. after they switched from WWF. Yes, yeah, so this marked that change. Uh, I really wish that Point Break Dave was going to be on the show. I don't say that very often. Typically, I enjoy shows he's not on. He would have had a lot more backstory because he was still really watching wrestling at the time. But I feel like if we're going to go through it you know, it to at least some degree through the whole card. But I feel like the the main event section of the card, the last four matches, I really don't understand how active a lot of those guys were on a week to week basis or if this was the call in every favor you can to get all the big names in there one more time. But I kinda th I kinda got the sense that's what was going on. But boy, the crowd was into this thing it felt like from the get go. Few lulls here and there, but it seemed like that they yeah. were uh the Seattle crowd was ready to party for this. No, it had, we'll go through it, but it had pretty much all the big names that you can think of around, uh, around that time. And as, as is custom, as we're going through these, I'm not doing, before I watch it, I'm not doing any like prep or look at the card or anything like yeah. that. So, so you're finding um, out, you're finding out as it's happening. Oh Yeah. You're, yeah, you're experiencing it, and which is great because you weren't a, and I, I was really, this was definitely a dark period for me. I mean, I, I um, couldn't have been a bigger fan. I, I started college in 2000, and that's probably when I walked away 
But and from '96 to 2000, there couldn't have been a bigger fan than me. And then I think I, you know, unfortunately, just grew up, grew away from it for a while in in college. But um, it happens. I I had familiarity with some of these matches just because of the historical aspect and a lot of the podcasts I listened to. But there was definitely moments where I was surprised as well. Not probably to the extent that you were. So the the tagline for WrestleMania 19 was "Dare to Dream." Which I, I don't really recall that being, you know, the other ones we've watched, whatever the tagline was, you know, I don't remember, you know, if it was like Easy Does It or Right Time Now or whatever. They like repeated it over and over. I don't recall Dare to Dream being spoken by anybody in the three hours and 45 minutes that I watched. No, I don't recall it being said once. Now, I do recall the very controversial title of the theme song being said more than once. <laughs> Are you talking about Limp Biscuits Crack Addict? Crack Addict. <laughs> so I don't think in 2019 you could get away with a TV PG presentation where the title of the song that they mentioned multiple times was Crack Addict. I think that's probably something that couldn't have happened then. That was actually not a track that I was familiar with. But we, we get started first. The announcing crew... When did, and I mean this, this is a serious question. This is not me doing a bit. When did Jim Ross, because he's had like one or two strokes, hasn't he? Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy, that's what he has. And it comes and goes. So there was times when it was really bad. It seems like March 30th, March 30th, 2003, (laughs) it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was bad to the point where it was almost affecting his speech. It felt like it was a bad, that was a bad time for him. Yeah, that, I, I noticed that first off, and the more I watch from back then, I don't really think Jerry Lawler really has anything. Jerry Lawler has something. It just wouldn't play very well today because it really only manifests when the women are out there. Yeah. But boy, like and we'll get to it in a minute, but his commentary during the, uh, the women's match and then also the extremely racially insensitive comments during the Booker T-Triple H match. Oh yeah, I've got that noted. Yeah, I've got that noted. But that he, that was his his offering was basically a shock jock. And then you had the other crew. So as they were switching between Raw and SmackDown, you had Michael Cole, who I thought you I thought your question was going to be when did Michael Cole eat Michael Cole? <laughs> and then Taz, who has to be one of the worst. I mean, one of my all time just kryptonite worst announcers ever. Yeah, he's terrible. He's just a disaster. And Michael Cole was still definitely kind of finding his voice because I think he was trying to be a little too over the top in a lot of cases where he hadn't really got into his rhythm. So I felt like every match that those two were in was just a a bit, even a bigger buzzkill. And then Jim Ross is always great. But you know what Jim Ross's bit is? And I'm sure, I don't know if you pick up on this, but he loves to mention where any wrestler went to college to the point where it's almost like I noted it in almost every single match. Right. It was like, oh, the Rock of Miami Hurricane and, you know, Kurt Angle, University of Minnesota, or whatever it was. Like, everybody's college gets mentioned because he's a huge OU yeah. guy. And he gets and th- such a kick out of relating the wrestlers to real-life athletic achievements outside of WWE. That's just that's just his calling card. But I just felt like it was especially on display tonight. And I feel like uh, some of his broadcasting experience, like he's got some college football 
work that he's done too. Oh yeah, he actually used to call Atlanta Falcons football on the radio for for I think two or three years when he was working um, for Turner for WCW in Atlanta, and yeah, he got to do that for for a couple of years. So he's got yeah, he's got football calling experience. Obviously, a big booster at the Sooners. So he loves to he loves to relate the the wrestlers to their real life personas outside of the ring, which I think is was always something that kind of didn't necessarily rub Vince the right way throughout the years because he liked to kind of maintain that mystique. You know, you've got got some guy that's dressed up that's supposed to be like a Viking, and they're like, yeah, and yeah, yeah he was the starting center for, you know. Texas middle, middle, commerce. middle Tennessee and yeah exactly so the first match and we'll try to blitz through these as quick as we can so Ray Mysterio he walks out ready to administer some 619s yeah one of the notes I had about Ray there is I mean I would conservatively say he has 20% of the tattoos he has today then in 2003 He's also probably at least 20 to 25 pounds leaner oh, yeah. than he is right now. Yeah. Less tats, way leaner. Followed by the cruiserweight champion, Matt Hardy, version one, <laughs> with Matt, his own like real cheap early 2000s <laughs> graphics and everything. Yeah, and it, like, had a, it had like a computer screen with a video, but the video was even like buffering and not playing clear because it's Matt Hardy 1.0. Yeah, it was, it was great. I was uh, I was already standing up. We're in the first first match, and I'm ready to go. Well, did you like the fact that uh, so his uh, you know whatever I guess his followers because he was going he was also using the tagline Matitude, yeah, and they were called MFers Matitude <laughs> followers. <laughs> did you get on board the, with that? Would you have been an MFer? Probably so. The thing I enjoyed the most watching this match was just how young and agile both of them were, especially Hardy. Cause oh now gosh. he's basically, he's like the guy in Motley Crue whose bones have just fused together. <laughs> he's, that's basically him I now. I feel so bad for him now, but yeah. And, and that's even, I mean, that's not even peak Matt Hardy. It would have been even a little before that, but if you go back and watch some of the stuff when he was just lean and mobile, like and flying through the air, you'll see why he looks the way he does now. But, I mean, it's just so different, like his style back then compared to what, what's going on now. But this was, uh, no, this was really good. And as we move up the list, we're going to obviously get to the point where every match is good and all of these, I'm going to have to assume. But um, Mysterio was good. He's kind of a beating to watch now. He's, I guess he's about to get a universal title shot in real time. What a, what this a has waste to be, of a segment. Yeah, some kind of a deal, just uh, a little push before a retirement that's coming up, maybe yeah. in April of 2020. Um, Hopefully sooner. But, yeah, uh, but he was good here. It's always funny that the only time anybody ever, you know, gets thrown or whatever and they land uh, trapped against the ropes is only when they wrestle Ray Mysterio, but I, yeah. I, mean, I get it. It's just, I always shake my head at that. No, it's just so stupid. That, yeah. It's just somehow everybody falls into that position. Only <laughs> against him, though. But the, uh, you know, the typical Hardy moves, the, you know, sling blade, or is that one of his? No, Twist of Fate. Twist of Fate, yeah. Twist of Fate. Uh, just seeing it 
performed so much better in 2003 versus, you know, 2018 was easily noticeable. Absolutely. But Hardy takes the, uh, Hardy takes the win. A little help from, retains the title. A little help from the outside, but takes the win. And then um, we get the limo pulling up in the, Miller Lite catfight girls are on the scene. So do you remember this? I vaguely remember this, but I don't have like a real strong recollection. Like just that there no. was a, comer- it was a commercial I know. So one of the, one of the women was for taste great. And the other one stood for less filling, right. which is the, like the old, yeah, old, the old gimmick. I, right. I know it well. And I have to assume because I don't remember this, but I have to assume this mirrored the whole Coors Light bit where they had the twins. Sure. And this was just their take on that. This is their answer to the scene. twins. But yeah, they show up on the scene. They're not very good on camera. It's a little corny. But boy, have we got big things in store later for them. And now we get <sighs> to the part of the show where I thought I figured that the pants were coming off. Uh, yes, I. And not for the girls. I levitated into into the into space when all of a sudden I see none other than Fred Durst and the boys kick off rolling as the Undertaker comes out on his motorcycle. And if you didn't notice, but I am second.com's own Brian Head Welch of Corn was playing guitar with Limp Biscuit no, for some I, reason. I have no idea who that is, nor did I notice. And I'm taken aback. I need to do some research online about that. Like, why was he there? They have guys that play guitar. <laughs> so we had, yeah, so we had that. I mean, I think you even, I think you texted me when this happened. And then when I watched it, I noted too. I mean, Undertaker came ripping out of there. <laughs> Full throttle on that motorcycle. American flag on the back. This was so obviously like, you know, Undertaker debuted in the early 90s as the Undertaker doing the whole Paul Bearer casket gimmick, ran that through the 90s and then had this brief stint where he did the American badass gimmick, which is a motorcycle riding, which is basically who he is in real life. You know, patriotic totally different demeanor in the ring, you know, really getting the crowd fired up, you know, not doing the undertaker, you know, no sell of everything. And Roland was his theme song the whole time. So yeah, of course at WrestleMania, we're going to have it performed live. And the only part I didn't like about this was the dancers with Fred Durst were really distracting. Cause I don't know what they were <laughs> doing. Like it wasn't even really good dancing. And they were, they were just kind of like doing these weird, like, you know, high knees or something. It was just, yeah. it, the whole thing was really strange. Like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get past that cheesiness of it to enjoy the moment for what it was. I think I was just in, I don't know why I was so surprised, but again, I just didn't know what I anticipated. So this was, it was the undertaker and he, it was supposed to be a tag team, but his partner got like beaten up in the shower Earlier in the day. Yeah. And he's going against the big show. And who's the other guy? So the other guy is A-Train, formerly known as Prince Albert. Okay. Who is now, I believe, the absolute head trainer at the WWE Performance Center. So he's one, wow. of, the, he's one of the top guys at the Performance Center. Never, I mean, he was always a, just a very much uh, 
underneath guy, never never had a lot of success in the ring, but I think was always thought of as somebody that could could actually work good in the ring, just not charismatic enough to to get a you know big main event type spot on the roster. But he's still with the company as far as I know. And then for listeners of this show, um, man, when the big show came out, he was pulling the shumper big time. I don't know <laughs> if you noticed that. I, I guess he forgot to put his cup on or something. But good lord, looked like he was. It's the lo- well. First of all, it was the longest entrance ramp ever, <laughs> okay. and he's walking down there, and I'm like, my god. He just uh, he had been to Albertsons, and he didn't have any cash. To bring, he had to smuggle some Eckridge sausages out of there. Seriously, like he put a Pringles can <laughs> that he wanted to have for later in his tights on the way to the ring. My goodness. Well, the Undertaker is. We continue our theme of, hey, guess what? People looked younger and better 16 <laughs> years ago than they do now. Undertaker looked amazing. Oh yeah, and he, he was I guess moving. He was I mean, he was moving it. Yeah, moving it. High speed in there. I, it was it was great. I mean, it's sad that they you know they still roll him out there today because of just how great he was back then. That's and that's that's a shame. But I mean, hey, everybody wants those paydays. I can't I can't fault him for it. But yeah, vintage, just just great in ring performer at the time. And since uh, fairly well known, it would be like another decade or so before he loses at WrestleMania. Yeah, surprise, surprise. He gets to tombstone yeah. A train and take the win. Right. Um, next one on my list was the uh, triple threat yes, the women's, women's match. Triple threat match. We had uh, Victoria, Jazz, and Trish, who, unlike it or not, still making sporadic appearances even to this day. But man, Trish in her day, she she was all right. She said, all right, uh, buddy. Yes. Not not as much now, but then for sure. And I think this entrance at this WrestleMania is the one that they use in the uh, intro that it you is. see, like that brief, like thirty minutes thing where she's well, she points at the crowd and every time she walks in. But it's like this outfit, this yep. scene yeah, I think that they show in that montage. I think that's a very very astute observation. One thing I did want to mention: this is a guy you're going to have no idea who he is, and he had very little role in this match other than the fact that. I think he got a stratisfaction, but Victoria's manager, Stevie Richards, was one of my favorite guys back in the day. And he was like kind of filling the role that Elias fills now, which is the guy I just so desperately wanted them to do something with at the top and never happened. But, oh, he had great bits. Okay. He was really yeah, funny. Not- Nothing to do with music, but he was, he was just, oh, I always thought he was just so entertaining, but. Yeah, never really could catch on to the point where they did anything with him. But I always, I always thought found him to be a really, uh, a really entertaining character. Very good interviews. So seeing him come out there with Victoria, which I didn't know, you know, he was managing her at the time. But it's like, man, that that guy could have under under the right writing guidance, that guy could have been huge. So not familiar, but I'll take your word for it. Um, so Trish looks great. I think that first of all, jazz is about just the most generic yes or just poor character name and i this is a uh only if you're ready for an 80s nba reference but i kind of think jazz looks like former detroit piston vinnie johnson so you can just uh, google that kids <laughs> put that in your google machine 
And Victoria looks to me like a surgically enhanced Sonia Deville. Yes, I think that's a very good call. That's my breakdown of the match because I don't really recall paying attention or certainly remembering now who won. Trish did end up winning the match. One fun story about Stevie Richards, I got to tell you, because this was one of his gimmicks. So he was always known as Stevie Richards or Big Stevie Richards, and then they decided to turn him heel just to try something different. So he started going by Stephen Richards, much like Robert Roode. <laughs> and his gimmick was he put on like a suit, and his gimmick was that he was real offended by all the like over-sexuality in wrestling. So like when there would be a women's match coming on, he would like come out and like try to cover up the women with like blankets and stuff. So that they wouldn't be like showing their breasts and like the crowd would get so mad and they would just boom. It was, but it was such a good gimmick for him. Was, and he, st- he started like a little faction called Right to Censor. His, his character should have just been called 2019. Exactly. Before his time. So the next. Yeah, so the next see. thing we had here, I've got the. Um, well, I did write, I just did write, um, well, two, two other things is, the, man, the like commentary during this match was just so sexist. Not that that's a shock. Not for back then. No. We got a Rock interview backstage. He's still mad about last year or last WrestleMania he was at when the crowd booed him. He mentions that, teasing ahead to his match with Stone Cold. And then we have the triple threat tag match. So the Guerrero brothers, Eddie and Chavo, Rhino and um, Indeed, Chris oh, Benoit, yes. Indeed. And then Team Angle, which I didn't know anything about, but I'm fascinated by now, but it's two other guys. I think it was Shelton Benjamin and Charlie and Haas, and they're dressed up in the Kurt Angle singlet. Right. I'm and sure they probably like had the bits. S- the storyline leading up to this is they were helping. I mean, they obviously, I think they were the title holders going into this, but they were obviously helping. They were always coming out with Kurt during his singles matches and helping him and ambushing people and, and playing that role. So I I think the, uh, so Chris Benoit was with Rhino, but I, unless I heard this wrong on the, like the broadcast, they said his name, right. But the PA guy at Safeco, I think he definitely said Reno when he ran out from the ramp. Reno. And and Rhino looks really spare. I mean, I don't he's not really doing it for me. No, and he's Benoit just, is. He was just recently released from WWE just a few months ago. Yeah. Chris Benoit was amazing and violent in this match, which was obviously a precursor of things to come, but it was phenomenal. That's why people loved him though, is he is he just went they called him the Wolverine. He went crazy in the ring and people loved it. Like the chops that he was oh, laying yeah. on no, he the laid, Guerreros. He, he laid it in, man. He wasn't he wasn't there to fool around. And so it was of course I think we might review this one, but I think it was the next year when Guerrero finally won the title, but 2003, how far in advance of his death is this? I think not far, and I'd have to look it up, but I, I feel like this was one of the later appearances that we see of Mr. Benoit. Or what about Guerrero, though? So Guerrero was definitely gone for... I think he makes one more WrestleMania because I think the okay. one that where he had died was the first one we watched, which was 21, I believe. 
Okay. Because I think we went 21, well, 2, and 3, and then back to 19. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this one, I, this match was just, it was physical and violent. Um, I, wrote, I just wrote down, they really need to keep an eye on this Benoit guy, but <laughs> probably a little too little too late on that. Yeah, well, well, um, what, a, what an astute viewer you are. <laughs> At the end, essentially Team Angle wins just based on kind of a bit. Yeah, they did the old luck. trick tag bit and yeah, got it through. Somebody else gets thrown out of the ring that's going to win. Shelton Benjamin sneaks in, gets the pin, and they and they retain the title. So then they uh, before the next match, they had another cutback to the <laughs> Miller Lite Pillow Fight Girls. And this was and was I, this when they were arguing on who invented WrestleMania? Yes, and they're but they're back there, and then Tori's there, and Stacy Keebler's back there, and they're all like just barely clothed and what was funny is I'm sitting on my couch watching this and my wife walks downstairs and like is just kind of doing her thing and then just does a double take when she walks by the TV and it's like what 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 are you what are you watching I was like yeah this is this is what wrestling used to be like sweetie this is this is this is what I grew up on you're like it's for the show yeah it's for the show it, uh, for the show that makes it okay I was in the the last match I was happy that um there weren't any, hey, everybody, take a look at Shelton Benjamin, clearly the best athlete in the ring. There was there were no comments along those lines this time. No, but let's hold that thought till we get to the Booker T match. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're going to make up for it later. But So then the um, next match is Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels. Um, this is a really good match. Um, they're both great. It took great. forever. They are great in-ring performers. Yeah, I mean, it takes forever because they're probably two of the few that are in good enough shape to go forever. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it was bad. It just... Yeah, it went on. There's no doubt I didn't about time that. it, but I'd be surprised if it was less than 25 minutes. Yeah, it was a very long match. They had a lot of back and forth. Shawn Michaels hits his finisher. They uh, they do a bunch, of, a bunch of interesting things at the end. Well, then Shawn hits the super kick, Jericho kicks out, and I'm thinking, and this is a match that I had no idea who won, but I'm thinking because Jericho's much younger, Michaels is, has been kind of just a part-time performer since his back injury. They really focused on that during the match. They did some great spots. I'm like, well, okay, Jericho's going to win this match. And then Michaels just kind of rolls him up and just gets the, I mean, after all that, gets a kind of random pin. And you're like, okay, well, I guess that's what they're gonna do. And then they kind of get up and do the mutual respect thing. And then Jericho gets him like the just perfect, just <laughs> right in the balls, just yeah, just right in the right in the balls. So they had to have carried that forward into. Right. I assume I think through that following I'm assuming summer. that yeah, that was not the end of it, but. For for what it was, um, yeah, maybe to your point, a little bit long, but a good match, and also I think a you know it was a good way for Jericho, who um, you know I think probably from this point forward really moves up the ladder into one of the top guys for a really long time. I mean, gosh, he's 2019; he's the AEW champion right now. But matches like that, I think, are what really got him on the on the big map. You know, once he got out of WCW. Am I the only one who thinks he looks terrible now? That he oh my gosh, looks well, a lot he's like, like I mean he's like in his late forties and yeah, but so is Triple H. Yeah, but he's he's given up on working out. Where I think Triple H is still working out like six times a day. 
Jericho looks like Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler. He does. He does. He's got a big old gut. I'm gonna. I'm, like I'm gonna was, look a lot like that when I'm 49. I'm thinking. I was expecting that the Ram Jam is gonna be part of AEW <laughs> at some point. Maybe a movie I need to revisit. I've only seen it once. No, I was actually thinking that the other day. Not not because of this pay per view, but we were. I was talking about something else, and I thought, you know, that was. That's definitely something, especially now, just as much wrestling as we've been watching recently. Like that's definitely something I want to revisit. Um, and uh, and see if it was still as good because I remember really enjoying it the first time, and I think it's a very accurate portrayal of that lifestyle. Yeah. So I think next was the second live Limp Biscuit performance. Yes, this of Crack Addict. Th- this got about twenty five seconds for me, and then the No Thanks fast forward. Wow. And I I, I moved on. And you're I a actually fan. the first time through, I moved on so quickly and haphazardly. I missed the Miller Light Girls cat fight. Because when you first texted about that, I was like, I don't remember seeing that. I had to go back and watch it. So, But this was bad. Yeah, no, I fast-forwarded through it immediately. Um, I didn't make it 25 seconds. When they said Limp Bizkit, I was, I was already, like, he said Limp, and it was already fast-forwarded. <laughs> but no, so they, this is, and this is the things you talk about you couldn't get away with in 2019. So they bring out a bed. They put the pillow fight or the uh, cat fight girls in the bed. And then Coach is out there and he's very skinny. Like he's like much skinnier than today. And he's kind of awkwardly standing by the bed and doing some like live over the PA commentary to like introduce the rules and like, hey, all you can do is hit somebody with a pillow in the bed. And then, of course, Stacy and Tori come back out. Um, and they start, I mean, it is just, the whole thing was just basically set up for them to get like revealing shots of the girls with their legs up in the air and they're tearing each other's clothes off. You had just the generic pillow fight aspect of it, but the two actual wrestlers that came out there, they, you know, like what can just be torn off. It was all coming off. And then the poor pillow fight girls, like they only know one thing to do. So they're just. T- taking the same exact pillow swings with each other the whole time because they, the they're, other, they're not really there to work. The other two, one rolls up the other for a pin and then decides, eh, I don't really need to pin. Let me just spank the other one on their bare bottom that's just straight up in the air for yes. about a solid five seconds. Yes. All while like, Coach is, is randomly standing there, and then the match devolves into basically all four of the women teaming up and pulling <laughs> Coach's pants down. Yeah, pulls his pants down, knocks him over, pins him for the three count, and so I stupid. guess we had a winner. I don't, I don't, so, I'm not sure. So stupid. <laughs> well, then we get to Triple H, Booker T. I still maintain Triple H's "Time to Play the Game" maybe the greatest theme song. Quite solid. Always gets me fired up. Booker T comes out. I guess they had been doing an angle about him. I he had been in jail. I, I apparently that was never anything that was brought out when I was watching. But they were had apparently been doing an angle about you know him having a somewhat of a criminal past. The Jerry the King Lawler's in full heel announcer mode in this match, just talking about how he'd be embarrassed if Booker T won the title and having to explain to people that we had a 
you know, person of his character as the title, but he was using all the racial buzzwords, thug, and just, di- you know, different things that you just don't say in 2019. He mentioned that, uh, would you want your champion to be somebody that has Johnny Cochran on speed dial? Yeah. Or would you want your champion who's someone's, whose family photo is a courtroom sketch? <laughs> That's one I might have to actually write down. That's kind of funny. It's applicable through uh, you know a broad base of people. Yeah, and then uh, he said something about um, his mother gave birth to him on a pool table, whatever that means. Huh. Don't really get that reference, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that one. But this, I mean, this was good. Was good, this was good too. Was a, this wasn't as long as the Michael no, this Jericho was, match. This was the appropriate length for a match of this caliber, and it of course always wins the way any Triple H match ends with him delivering a pedigree for the one, two, three. Because if you're married to the boss's daughter and you're Triple H, you don't ever lose. You give your, you give everybody the pedigree, no matter where you are in your career. A little bit of assistance from the Nature Boy. Don't during worry the about that the match. I love it that when the nature boy is so like when he's out there in his suit and then he gets involved and then when he's so disheveled in the ring at the end with his hair's all crazy, <laughs> his suit's Shaving all ruffled tuck. up and Triple H, you know, after he gets the pin, like, it, you know, immediately passes out. So nature's trying to drag him out of there. It's, I love that scene. Like he sells that so well. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good drama. Triple H had kind of a, I don't know. Kind of had a douchebag vibe to me during this during this match, like in the entry and you know, kind of the promo pictures for it and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I no, think he's was just was, younger. Was, it looked a little different. Yeah, and this was still when he was before he really embraced like the the full the game character. This was still when he was kind of teetering in that old world of being the blue blood, you know, because he came in as this real, you know, haughty rich guy character and they're still referencing that in the commentary about how rich he was and different things so that they hadn't totally let that go so he was still playing that up a little bit so a couple things i'm not sure and i'm not sure on these or one of them i'm not sure on one of them i am i'm not sure whether i like what the title belts used to look like or what they look like now more because i think now they're a little it's a little more simplified you just kind of have the wwe logo and you know but I, I don't know. They also look kind of generic as a, as opposed to more unique look with what the heavyweight championship and WWE title looked like back then. Yeah, I, I prefer the old ones for sure. I think I feel like the new ones are just too overly branded. They just look like a piece of like we want to sell this merch where the yeah. other one felt like a little more haughty or not haughty or felt a little more regal or important. And they... Uh, I feel like now it's just turned into like, a, okay, we're going to brand this one red and this one blue right. and this one green. And yeah, I, I definitely prefer the old ones. The, the ultimate title was the, the late 80s, early 90s. They called it the winged eagle belt that Hulk Hogan hold, held. That I had the replica of that one growing up. That was the best of all time. Okay. They really should go back to that. So the thing that I know I'd like to see more of now is a lot of these matches started with both guys come out to the ring, you play the music or whatever, and then the ref brings both of them to the middle and they just stand like nose to nose for like a minute or two before they get started. As opposed to now, you come out, you're in your same corner or opposite corners, and then you just kind of, you know, you go at it. 
it doesn't it doesn't really allow for that somebody kind of jumping the bell a little bit and getting the first cheap shot in. But I like that two guys just face to face right before they're gonna oh yeah throw down for fifteen minutes. No, I love it. Adds the big match feel. I love it. Triple H with the pedigree. The next match on the card is one that I could honestly say I never knew happened. And when I heard what it was, I was shocked that this ever took place. But Hulk Hogan versus Vince McMahon in a street fight. Hulk Hulk Hogan at age 50. Vince McMahon at age 58. Unbelievable. And he is huge. Vince, when he walks out, and of course, you know, he's puffing his chest out and holding his shoulders back, but he looks incredible for that age. And I, and I love the uh, the facial expressions during the course of the match, oh, whether yeah. it's you know, he's trying to intimidate or he's shocked or he's hurt or, you know, whatever it is, just constant entertainment throughout throughout the whole match. No, and, and we had blood on both sides. No, McMahon, on this too. I mean, McMahon cut himself. He, I mean, his whole face was covered in blood by the end of it, which by the way, they didn't clean up before the next match. No, like, they didn't. Wh- why in 2003 had they not figured out that you can have multiple layers of canvas on the ring? Come on. I, I have no idea. It seems I didn't like see any, uh, you don't need lean late. six Sigma in there to explain that to you. <laughs> I didn't see any latex gloves on the, uh, no, it was, it was just on the let fly. Yeah. So what but happened when Vince, so they're battling, it's a street fight, there's no DQs, so they're working outside the ring, and Vince climbs the ladder and delivers Hogan's leg drop to Hogan on the table, but they actually, I think, legitimately injured the Spanish announcer because if you see, like, he's bleeding, like, bad, oh, and they had to come bring people from the back to take him out of there. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Like, I guess it must have been shrapnel from the table or the table kicked up funny because I noticed Vince, you know, and I'm sure 58 years old, jumping off a ladder, but, like, the way he landed during that spot, I don't know that he ever even touched Hulk Hogan. No, I don't think so either. I mean, it was, like, full butt with his legs up in the air, but he was supposed to be leg-dropping Hogan, but he basically just took the entire blow onto on his own butt. And then apparently at some point during their <laughs> busted open the Spanish announcer. And then they get back in the ring. It looks like Vince is going to take it, take the win. And then all of a sudden, Rowdy Roddy <laughs> Piper makes an appearance, which would seem to be kind of nonsensical. He no. didn't really help anybody. No, and then it, like he was wearing a trench coat and then rips it off. It's like, because nobody would know who you are because you have on a trench coat. It, that was just a weird moment. No, and then... I, yeah, and then it's like he gets his little appearance and Leo hits him with the pipe and leaves. And that's and it. And I was like, okay, well, why was yeah, why was Roddy Piper on there? But what's I great about this know. is I was sure that was going to be the end, and we get the Hogan kick out. Oh, and then the Hulk up. And the Hulk up, and that man, and that is what brings the crowd to its feet because. Against all odds. And I didn't, again, I wasn't sure who was going to win. I would figure that Vince wouldn't put himself in a position to end Hulk Hogan's career in the ring. That Even for Vince, that seems a little extreme. But, um, you know, I was starting to believe it after all the interference. But then, yeah, we get the classic Hulk up. And then Hogan delivers, I think, like three leg drops in a row right. before he gets the pin, which was a great, a great finish. I think the crowd was really into it. 
yeah, it was good to see that because I hadn't, you know, that my actual time watching wrestling with any regularity included the Hulk Hogan era of the 80s and the, yeah, he's going down and all of a sudden the hand, the arms and the hands kind of start shaking yep. and you know, it's you know what's up, coming, brother. It's up time, brother. So next, we only got two more, right? Two more, yeah. So next, this is a big one. The Rock against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I believe this was their third meeting at WrestleMania, and I think their first or maybe second is going to be the one that we review last is number one, which I think is the most famous encounter. I think this one, this one at this point, the rock was already pretty much sold out to Hollywood. And I, and I believe I read that on the raw, maybe the raw directly after this WrestleMania, he comes out and says that he's retiring from wrestling And this. So this is, this is kind of it for him because this was when his career was really starting to take off. Um, so I kind of got the sense, yeah, I got the sense that at this time, you know, Austin wasn't doing as much, you know, he's in pretty bad physical shape. He's got neck problems. So I think they were just, this is, this is the star power. Like, let's get him out there one more time and give the crowd a show. He had me sold. Yeah. I was ready to go. No. And, and I mean, and again, you didn't really grow up watching it as much, but I mean, it doesn't really get as far as just, the in-ring performance slash charisma, it doesn't get better than these two. I mean, not necessarily working against each other, but just in general. I mean, they're they're just on another level than what anybody else is from what they're doing in the ring. And the right. crowd just eats it up. Yeah. The, I, I laughed at the, the Rock because as he's walking out to the ring and then sometimes he's kind of walking around the ring just looking at the crowd, he has this look on his face like he's... I don't know. He looks like a he looks like a a bird that's like surprised and confused at his cr- surroundings. <laughs> like, why are all these people here? What's going on? But I guess it's supposed to be just a look of focus or whatever. But he just looks he looks confused to me like half the time. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you you know, Stone Cold is held by many to be the biggest star in the history of the whole. No, and and probably rightfully so, and probably rightfully is, but. They did. I mean, they did. And this is fun. I'm sure this is fun for them. They don't necessarily get along. I mean, they weren't like guys that were best friends. I think when they were both in their heyday, they were very competitive with each other. But there's a mutual respect, and they, you know, they did each other's finishes to each other during the match, and you know, near falls, rock kicked out of the rock bottom, or Stone Cold kicked out of the rock bottom. I mean, there was, you know, great back and forth action, and I, you know, I think that really what it boiled down to, you know, not to ruin other WrestleManias for you, but that, you know, I think that gave rock the chance to say he got a win over Austin at WrestleMania at a point in their careers when it probably didn't matter one way or the other who won. Well, and unless Wikipedia lied to me, this was uh stone cold retired after this match. Yeah. And I, I, I was wondering because I figured it was right around that time. Cause neither one of them, you know, Rock was pretty much checked out to Hollywood, and Austin at this point is not in in really shape to be putting himself at, at risk because he, you know, he's one one bad fall or one you know irresponsible move away from you know potentially being paralyzed. So, yeah. Even though I did see a report today that he said in an interview he feels like he's in great shape and he thinks he could, if he got booked for a match, he could certainly make his way through it. 
Is there any doubt that'll take place in Saudi Arabia? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Against Ziggler? Boy, would that not be funny if if uh, Ziggler just becomes like the guy that they get out there to just take <laughs> take an L to a 50-year-old? Um, so, yeah, I think my favorite part in this one was, yeah, you got to see the finishing moves from both guys, and they performed each other's. But um, it looked like it was turning... And then the rock block, you know, whatever, and then flips off Stone Cold right to his face and then gives him a stunner, which which Stone Cold just sell, sells, like, remarkably. Oh, yeah. Just does, like, the bounce up, and he's, like, five feet in the air almost. That was great. If you ever want to have fun, and, I, and I'm sure you may have done this before, but just go on YouTube and search for Stone Cold Sunner sells, and they have all the different ones over the years. The rock sells it the best, but... yeah. There's some is there some some that are just so great over the years. I've, I've seen a couple where yeah. he sells it where he bounces up and literally like bounces off the ropes and then back all the way down. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. Just phenomenal. But so great stuff. The Rock wins it. I think uh, it took three yeah, rock three bottoms rock bottoms, at the but end. he finally yeah he finally got the pin, and I think this was the second match. Uh, well, actually, I guess third, if you count the Hogan match, where we had multiple finishes delivered. Uh, and let's keep that trend uh, going for the main event because we're going to see some more of that here. Yeah. So the main event for the WWE title is Kurt Angle, the champion, against the challenger and the winner of that year's Royal Rumble. The Beast Incarnate. Brock Yes, Brock Lesnar, who in that montage leading up to the bout, they're showing the Royal Rumble, and he quite literally threw two guys out of the ring at one time. So great. He, the I monster. mean, he's always been huge to say, Brock. look at Brock Lesnar, he's huge, but yeah, I, it doesn't even look human. No, he's just, just a freak at this point. And, and this it, is him at like age 25. Yes, and I would have been terrified to be in the ring with him at this point. He's just, I mean, I just feel like he's... So legit could probably kill anyone in WWE at this point. But I mean, other than Angle's maybe Kurt Angle, big. that's the thing though. Is you know, Angle was obviously Olympia Olympic wrestler, and I, you know he's probably one of the few that could have hooked onto somebody and kept himself from getting killed if it got if things got real. Well, and just from a technical wrestling perspective there was a lot of that in this match there wasn't a whole lot of bits until like the very end mm -hmm. and it was a good match and i mean kurt angle at this time like you know again you know your familiarity with him is with neck fused kurt angle that can't even turn yeah. his head without turning his whole body but he uh you know at this time like he was such a good performer and um you know just the the actual real technical wrestling background really comes out and he was putting on just great matches, in, you know, week in and week out. I mean, he was just, just phenomenal to watch at this time. Well, he gave Brock the German suplex a couple times, just seeing somebody of that size yeah. get thrown over. And one time where he throws him back and Lesnar does like a, like a flip, kind of like Rollins did, you know, in one of their recent matches, mm -hmm. except keep in mind that Brock Lesnar is twice the size of a human being that <laughs> Seth Rollins is. Exactly. So that was phenomenal. We go back and forth. We, I think there was at least one or two false finishes on, on each side. And yeah. they were doing like the two and three quarters, like the third 
tap is like right off the mat before somebody's shoulder lifts up. Oh yeah, it was great. And and uh, you know, obviously amazing chemistry working together. Um, in the end, you know, we see uh, Lesnar go over, and apparently, um, I was just reading that um, Kurt Angle actually hurt himself in the match too, and had to take some time off afterwards um, with a neck injury. So, oh, indeed. Hopefully, uh, yeah. that turned out okay. Um, okay, so here's my question. So towards the end, Lesnar, who Never does this now, certainly. Didn't do it then. Gets up on the ropes. And I can't remember what the move exactly is called, but he fl- he's trying to do a flip. Shooting star press. Shooting star press. Did he botch that? I know Angle moved, but... Yeah, so, and I was, and I actually looked that up because Angle covered for it, you know, by okay. getting on top of him for a pin. But yeah, I think that the that they said he botched it and might've even ended up with a concussion because of it. He was, he was inches away from that. And it would have ended his career just landing right on his neck. And they announced that he had a concussion on raw the next night, but I don't know that it was ever known if that was just a storyline excuse to give him a little bit of time off or if he really did have a concussion, but I think their possibility was, I mean, it looked pretty, pretty gnarly. I think, I think the idea was that he wasn't going to hit hit angle with it, but I think the way he botched the miss was pretty uh, pretty unsafe to say the least. Well, he, when he started to take off, you could tell he kind of whether it was a balance issue or a kind of a hesitation. But he he definitely I, I feel like the instant he took off from the ropes, he was probably like, "Oh, this is not going to be good." Yeah, yeah, I weigh two hundred and seventy five pounds, and this is <laughs> this is going to hurt a little bit. So ultimately, Lesnar gets the win. Was this his first title? No, he actually had won it before because he was the youngest person to ever win the WWE title in his first reign. Okay. So, uh, so, so, uh, so no to that. But um, I mean, this and what's crazy to think is, you know, as long ago as this looks and feels like, I mean, he's, uh, you know held the title in WWE and probably will again after he beats Kofi here coming up. Yeah. He's still doing How it. is that? That is a kind of weird timing with, I mean, I get it with uh, setting that up for the premier SmackDown on Fox, a channel that I currently do not have because they just pulled it from dish network. Oh my gosh. Well, dude, you got to get that. You got to get that sorted out before. Uh, yeah. What is it? The sixth. Uh, yeah, so, but they have that, and then a pay-per-view two days later. Yeah. So, WWE title is, I wonder if they're going to do something where they don't end up having a match on that Friday, and they just say, let's settle this at Hell in a Cell. I, I mean, they could maybe do some kind of a finish where they have to settle it later, but I don't think on the first, you know, they're trying to get off to the right foot with Fox. I don't think they're going to do something cheesy and not give what they're promising they may end it in such a way that there needs to be another match, but I right. I think they'll give you a match. So I've heard that they're going to take more of a, uh, I mean, it's a choreographed event, but the appearance of it is going to be more like an actual sporting event on SmackDown than it does on Raw. Yeah, I think they're going to really start to make each one of their, I guess if you count NXT, to feel differently in how it's styled and looked and shot, and I think that's a good thing. 
they're yeah. going to go back and do another draft and really stick to keeping people on specific shows, which I also think is a really good thing. Well, yeah, because five months ago, Vince just walked out and made up the wild card rule, like just ad-libbed it. Dude, and like, well, I he just panicked. sticking with this. Yeah, he just panicked and said, well, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> All right, so uh, WrestleMania 19, um, 12 and a half thumbs up yeah. for me. no. Very much enjoyed it, and in about a month we'll uh, we'll get to our our next review. And um, man, we are just gosh weeks away from the Ebola episode. So I hope you're ready. Man, I'm I have all my vaccinations, and no, I am and I will be there live and in person. I'm taking the last flight out that day, so we got plenty of time to make this happen. Okay. All right, and I've we'll been do it. I've been slowly slowly writing down notes because there's a lot to get through. We're gonna have time to fit in one more episode before we start yeah. going down Ebola road. No, I think so. I think we'll have one okay. more next week, and then uh, and then we are gonna be in Ebola mode. All right. Well, until then.